passage of scripture this morning that is one that I have I just don't ever get over um, of course when we sang the song when I surveyed the wondrous cross um, just I sit there with tears in my eyes uh, as I consider and I think about this passage of scripture we'll be in Philippians chapter 2 and we're going to pick up in verse number 5 where we left off Paul had been writing in this letter he wrote uh, concerning the unity with inside of the church at Philippi. And he was dealing with the issue of several areas with inside of the church that there should be a unity among them with inside of the church at Philippi. So as we make our way to chapter 2 in verse number 5, Paul is getting ready to ratchet this up just a little bit. And matter of fact, what he is going to do is he's going to draw from probably the greatest example that he could possibly have drawn from when it comes to the way that we should be as a believer in our life when it comes to our relationship with others. And matter of fact, what we're going to deal with here is the miracle of the incarnation. Now, I know sometimes we use words like that, and especially the word incarnation. A lot of folks wonder, what in the world are you talking about when you use the word incarnation? Well, let me share it with you this way. Incarnation means to take on flesh. It means to take on flesh. It means to become flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's what Paul is going to write about as we move to verse number 5. And the miracle of the incarnation itself stands as a testimony to the glory of God himself and as you go through these few verses and they're, they're not many from verse 5 through verse number 8 probably the most profound passage of scripture in all of the word of God that deals with the subject of the incarnation of Christ matter of fact this passage has also been called by several as a Christological gem or even a theological diamond uh, that is mined out of the scripture itself only because of how, how profound it is in its message. God took on flesh. And, and, and we wonder sometimes just all of the things that are entailed with that. God took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Emmanuel that we see the prophet Isaiah speak about. God with us. God took on flesh. God dwelt among us. He came to reside here among us and with us. And to live and to die. And to provide a redemption for mankind, for fallen mankind, that that was the only way possible that we could ever, ever spend all of eternity with him. And he knew that. And God had already made provision. Let me share something else with you this morning. This was not an afterthought with God. This was a part of the plan from all of beginning. And so when it occurred, when it happened, when it took place, uh, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, when he came and he walked on the face of this earth, the words that he spoke, the actions that uh, were part of his earthly ministry of who he was, was unlike anything that the people had ever heard, that they had ever seen, that they had ever witnessed, that had ever been a part of anyone's life at all. And so here's what Paul does. Paul presents the greatest example of humility that possibly could have been presented to serve as the most powerful motivation for the believer today in the way that we should live our lives, in the way that we should, we should relate to one another with inside of the church. And it is so important when we go through and we walk through this to look at all of the aspects of what Paul is going to now use the incarnation, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, as an illustration of what he spoke about in the first four verses of this chapter. This phrase that you see in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, "...have this attitude or this mind in yourselves." which was also in Christ Jesus, this mind or this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's an interesting phrase there because it looks backward and forward. It looks both direction here. It's not a single direction, but it looks back and it looks forward here. And so when Paul uses this, it looks backward to verse 3 and verse number 4. 
When you look at verse 3 and verse 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So it looks back to there, but it also looks forward to something else. It's found in verse 6 through verse 8 of what Paul is going to write when he said, who although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross the goal of believers when we consider this passage of scripture having this attitude is what brings about spiritual unity in the church and that is what is so critical And that is what is so important here when we consider this passage of Scripture. And I will tell you, here's something, here is a word, and I will just say this to you this morning. Here is a word we all struggle with. It's called humility. It's called humbleness. It's being able to understand that sometimes what humbleness or humility means is nothing more than, to put it in simple terms, is sometimes putting aside your own personal desires or your own personal endeavors for the sake of someone else who needs you or needs something at that moment in time. And I will tell you, today the mentality of the world and the culture that we live in today is totally opposite than that. It is all about me. It's all about what I need. It's all about what I can do to gather within and for myself those things that I need in my own heart and life. It is what I want. It's what I need. It's what I want to have take place right now. We live in a culture and a society today that's a throwaway. It's an instantaneous, I want it now. And what's amazing to me today is even if you want something uh, that you need to, to get your hands on, that it's amazing to me the day that they're trying to get to the point that if you order it before a certain time in the morning, you will have it in your hand by that afternoon. And I'm like, I, how in the world... Is that going to be possible? But that's where we are today. It's, it's a throwaway. It's an instantaneous. It's, I want it now. That is the desire that we find prominent throughout all of our culture today. And here's what Paul basically says in this passage of Scripture. It don't kid it in the church. It's not about me. And you've heard me say this many times as I stand here in this pulpit. This is not about me. It is not about me. This place belongs to the Lord, not to me. It's a part of the kingdom. And so as we all serve and function with inside of the kingdom, there are certain things that just has to be in our own hearts and lives as we serve and worship together in the kingdom. Because as believers, one day when you consider this and look at this, we're all going to be together one day for all of of the rest of eternity. So the best place to practice is here and to function and to practice here in the things that God would have us to do. But let me ask you a question. What is this unity that Paul keeps talking about? All throughout the book of Philippians, he talks about this unity. And what is this unity? What is, what is it? Well, let me give it to you. It's real simple. It's having the same mind, having the same love, united in spirit, and the interest in one purpose. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. You know, John writes about this same subject. When you go read John's letter, go to, turn with me to 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter number 2. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6. John writes about this same subject. And let's start in verse number 3. Let's start in verse 3. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. So notice what John writes. He said, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Verse 6. The one who says... He abides in him, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
in the same manner as who walked in the same manner as Christ walked that is that is the way that we should that's the way we should live it's the way we should walk that's that's what should be a part of our lives and who we are that's what Paul is meaning when he says the same mind the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose so how do we get there well I think the greatest example that we have is even recorded by John in the gospel of John turn with me to John chapter 13 and let's look and see an actual example of the earthly ministry of Jesus and especially what Jesus does and I will say this it created a difficulty with the disciples when Jesus stood up after the supper to do this it created some difficulty among the disciples that were there more specifically with Peter and Peter just could not understand what it was that Jesus was getting ready to do in John chapter 13 beginning in verse number 3 I want you to notice what it says Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God I want you to understand something he's God in the flesh in the flesh as a man but one of the things that I want you to also understand not only was he 100% man but he was also 100% God and so as he gets up from the table knowing who he was knowing for sure the reason that he was there but also understanding who he was and his deity he never used it for his own glory or his own purpose. But I want you to notice as we continue in John chapter 13. He got up from the supper and he laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Speaking about the one who is going to betray him. But we find here the example of Jesus himself. What did he do? He got up from the table. He laid aside his own garments. He took a towel that was there. And he took a basin of water. And he began in Jesus' day what would only be considered the most lowly of positions to attend to. That of a bond slave or a bond servant. He began to wash the disciples' feet. What does that say to us? What does it say about our relationship that we have with each other? What does it say about who we are in Jesus Christ? I will tell you, humility and humbleness in our lives is a difficult thing. And it's something that we always struggle with. It's something that we always battle with. And sometimes we think we know just a little bit more. We know just a little bit better. We've got just a little bit better handle on this thing than anybody else does. Really? But then we find the explanation of the task that Jesus had just started and began with the disciples. Look at verse number 12. So when he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? Do you have any idea what just happened? Do you have any idea of what just occurred? And Jesus goes on in verse 13, and now he begins to draw the relationship. And notice what he says. He says, you called me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash 
one another's feet. You see what he just said? Yes, you did right to call me Lord and teacher. And if so, and I've washed your feet, then guess what? From my own example, you should do the same. That should be who we are. As we look at the very example of Jesus Christ himself, understanding and realizing that he set the way for us. He set the path for us. He set the bar for us. He set the standard for us. How could we do any less than that when it comes to our relationship that we have with each other? And then look at verse 15. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, you're blessed if you're what? If you do them. You're blessed if you do them. You know, the way of humility is not the way of the world. Matter of fact, here's the way the world sees it today. They see it as weakness or cowardice. That's the way they see it. That's to be weak. That's to be a coward. To have humility. To be humble about our lives and, and who we are. Well, I will say this. James wrote about this subject as well. Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter number 4. James chapter 4. And we'll start in verse number 1. James chapter 4 verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1, notice what's recorded here. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, selfishness. Me, myself, and I. Verse 4, you adulteresses, you, know, you do not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded. And notice the relationship there between those. God hates pride, has no place for pride. And he gives grace to the humble. The reason that we struggle so often in the next verse, you know, a lot of times we just say, well, all you've got to do is resist the devil and he will flee from you. We always leave out the first part of that verse because it deals with submission. Submission comes as a result of our humbling ourselves to God himself to humbling ourselves to the will of God to humble ourselves before him in all that we do when we live life every day let me tell you something it doesn't hurt today to offer a smile to offer a word of encouragement to offer a little kindness in a hurting world that we find ourselves and especially in times like today that we find ourselves People just need encouragement. People just need a kind word. People need a smile today. People need to know that it's going to be okay. And for uh, folks to understand, and, and here's what I want you, if you don't take away anything else today, here's what I want you to take away. If you're a believer here this morning, this is not all that there is to life. This is not all that there is. 
the struggles, the difficulties that we go through life each day, if we're not careful though, they can make us hard. They can harden us. They can harden us to the point that humbleness and submission is not even a part of who we are in our lives at all. Let's go back to Philippians. I want you to notice the progression in these verses as Paul shares with us the mind and the attitude of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. There is a progression here that I want you to notice beginning in verse number 6. The very first part of verse number 6. Philippians chapter 2, the very first part of verse number 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God. That word existed there is an interesting word because the Greek word there means before and after. Just because Jesus Christ was born in the flesh, he did not relinquish any or parts of his deity at all. He is still just as much God as he is man. But he left that. He left that to dwell among us. He left that to be a part of us. Our Emmanuel, he left that to dwell here. He left that to bring about what could only be brought about by himself. It had to be. It had to be that way. But Jesus left his exalted position. What does that say to us? He left his exalted position to walk as man here on the face of the earth. That's who he is. How can you and I do any less? Then for us to come to that place, you come to verse number 7, and it's an interesting portion in verse number 7 as you watch the progression. He also emptied himself. So being emptied of himself, he did not regard equality with God as something that could be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men did not negate the fact that he was still God. Even though he took on flesh, flesh and blood, and dwelt among us, did he suffer? Did he deal with all of the things that you and I as human beings deal with? Sure he did. And I hear people say this all the time, well, you need to understand something. But he was God in the flesh. He was God, so none of that bothered him. Really? Are you serious? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus was making his way into the city of Jerusalem and he looked across the city of Jerusalem and he stopped and he paused, the scripture says that he began to weep over the city of Jerusalem. What about when he was at the tomb of Lazarus after Lazarus had died? The shortest verse that we have recorded in the scripture is found in John chapter 11. Jesus did what? Jesus wept. Did he suffer hunger? Sure he did. Did he suffer loneliness? Sure he did. Did he suffer humility or, or humiliation? Sure he did. It was the most humiliating thing that could ever have been accomplished for a human being, and that's to be crucified on a cross. So don't ever say... He was able to do that, and he was able to go through all of that simply because he was God. He dealt with that. He suffered through that. He spent time in agony. Go look at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. With great agony as he prayed. Matter of fact, one of the things that Jesus had even prayed in his prayer, Father, if there's any other way for this to occur, let it be so. But if not, but if not, I've come to do what you've called me to do. And that's what I will do. You know, it's this attitude of selfless giving of oneself and one's possessions, power, and privileges that should be a part of the believer's life and who we are. But he took the form of a bondservant. That word, the Greek word there, doulos, which means bondservant or bondslave. Have you ever considered the magnitude of that statement that Paul writes here concerning Jesus Christ? 
Let me just share with you the significance of what it meant to be a bond slave or a bond servant. Everything he had, basically he owned nothing, absolutely nothing, not even the clothes on his back. Everything he had belonged to his master, including his life. Yes, he left the portals of glory. He left that exalted position to become flesh and to dwell among us and to experience and suffer all of those things. For what? Because it was necessary. Because it was required. If we were going to spend eternity with God the Father, it had to be. So when I survey the wondrous cross, one of the things you should never do is to get over what occurred on that cross. I don't. Matter of fact, every time I hear that song, I can't even get to the second verse till tears are coming down my face. Why? Because it's something I just can't ever get over. Because I know where I was and I know where he saved me from, and I know what he saved me to, and it had absolutely nothing to do with me or who I am, had absolutely nothing to do with anything or abilities that I had at all. It was simply because he loved me. It was simply because of his grace. It was simply because of his mercy. And I know so well what Lamentations chapter 3 when the prophet Jeremiah spoke of his mercies, he said his mercies are new every single morning. And my dear friend, I will say this to you. There are some mornings that I just wish they were over and over and over and over again to be a part of his mercies. And imagine this. The creator of all that there is to become flesh to be made in the likeness of men look at the last part of verse 7 in the first part of verse number 8 notice what it says in being made in the likeness of men being found in appearance as a man who he was in the likeness of man and the appearance of a man before Jesus was crucified I have a tough time with this so just bear with me I don't believe we could ever, ever, ever begin to understand or get a glimpse of the humiliation that must have been in place when they led Jesus from Pilate's hall and they led him to be beaten and mocked and ridiculed. The flesh on his back torn off. Hanging on the cross that he was not even recognizable. And then to be able to look from the cross down across that crowd that was there and to utter the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 beginning in verse number 1. 
Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Verse 3, he was despised and forsaken or rejected of men, a man of sorrows. And I want you to notice the next part. He was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with what? With grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves have esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. And all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before it shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And it just goes on, the rest of Psalm, or Isaiah 53. So he was. So what greater illustration could Paul have possibly used for us? The example for us to follow the example for us to be the example for us to walk after the example for us to be a part of but the end of verse number 8 let's go back to Philippians chapter 2 and look at the end of verse 8 Philippians chapter 2 in the last part of verse number 8 there's a phrase here that's what we've been talking about all morning last part of verse 8 so what did he do he humbled himself how did he humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross you know I've often wondered why in the world that as the writer of Hebrews and I tell you what I've read through it I can't tell you how many times I've taught out of the passage. I've used it as an illustration over and over many times. But I guess it wasn't until this week that I began to, to see the magnitude of what the writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter number 12, when he wrote chapter 12, the first three verses of chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, when it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight or encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles or besets us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on who? Fixing our eyes on who? On Jesus. The author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him joy joy nowhere joy knowing where you are going joy joy knowing what was ahead of you 
He endured the cross. And I want you to notice that next phrase because it's significant here as we consider Philippians chapter number 2, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart that's why when Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter number 5 in verse number 8 he said but God commended or God proved his love toward us in that while we were yet a sinner Christ died for us Folks, please listen to me this morning. This thing ain't about you. It's not about me. We're only sitting here today because of Him. We're only able to be a part of what we're part of today because of Him. We're only able to serve today because of Him. We're only able to be a part of what God's plan is because of Him. It's not us. It's Him. Who makes it possible for us to do and to be a part of what we do every day? It's all because of Him. And so the question then begs, and it comes to this if Jesus did, can we do anything less? Who's our standard? Is it the one sitting next to you? No. Is it the one sitting in front of you? No. Because I will tell you today, you start looking around you, many are going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you, but there, one, there is one who will not. Because he's the ultimate example of what we should be. In the way that we should be. In the way that we should serve. In the way that we should relate to one another. So what should our desire and priority be? So what do we take away from this? I mean this is probably one of the most powerful passages of scripture. Verse 5 through verse 8 of Philippians chapter number 2 that deals with the incarnation of Christ. So what do you take away from something like this? Our desire and priority should be nothing more than this than to pursue unity. To pursue unity. To be what we should be. And you say, really, Brother Robert? Yeah. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter number 11, and I'll finish with this. And let me say this. Oh, by the way, everything we've talked about this morning is a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches. Both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. and unfathomable his ways I'm going to ask brother red to do something different this morning our invitation is going to be a little bit different this is going to require some of the folks back here probably to have to make an adjustment or change here uh, should not be any difficulty for the mu musicians this morning to do this.
but in light of what we've been over this morning here's what I'd like for us to do I'd like for us to go back to when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died I want to ask you a question this morning Has it just become old hat to you? Has it just become common? Or is it something that you still just can't get over each day? I was standing out by the fence yesterday afternoon thinking about this morning. I said, oh God. Please do and use what has occurred for your honor and for your glory and not ours. God, allow this to show us where we are and who we are. And God, help us to learn through it, whatever it may be. Father, we love you. Father, I thank you for the privilege that I have to call you my Father. But Father, the awesome responsibility that it brings. The more we know of you, the closer we move to you, the greater the cost. Father, I pray for everyone in this building today. God, I pray that they would just see you. even in times of difficulty even in the storm even in the trying pressures of life your mercies are new every morning your faithfulness never fails God help us I pray today Father, may we never get over. May we never get over what you did for us. May we live it out and shout it from the rooftops. Your great love that you have for us. Father, we place this time now into your hands. just pray for your perfect will to be done in this place this morning and we ask all of this in Jesus name and for his sake amen let's stand together as we sing this together here's what I want you to do I want you just to lift your eyes toward heaven just sing it to him as we consider and contemplate who we are today and where we are we never get over may we never get over as brother red leads us this morning when I survey the wondrous cross on which the glory died my richest gain I count but loss and poor content 
today thank you for your great love that you so freely and graciously gave to us and we ask all of this this morning in Jesus name and for his sake amen you can be seated for just a moment we come now to the time of the service where we have an opportunity to give back to the Lord a portion of that that he so richly bless that he blesses us with week after week and day after day it's a part of worship it's a part of who we are and so at this time uh, we're going to receive the offering this morning and we're going to have a word of prayer and ask God's blessing on the offering as it's received this morning as God will take it and use it and multiply it for his honor and for his glory so let's bow our heads together as we pray for the offering father I pray this morning that as we have an opportunity here to give to give, from a, to give from a cheerful heart out of a heart of love because of what you've done for us. Father, I pray now that you would take this offering that is collected here today. May you multiply it. May you use it for your honor and for your glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <laughs>
right, just a couple of quick things for you. We will be back here tonight at 6 o'clock, but we will be in the auditorium over there tonight at 6. As I continue a new series on the days of the early church. And uh, so I would encourage you to be back. We may have to go back and pick up a little bit of where we were, but we will be back in there in that auditorium at 6 o'clock tonight. So I encourage you to come and to be a part of that. We have another opportunity here in the community uh, to be a blessing to some folks, uh, not only during COVID, but also through the hurricane, uh, the emergency room, just all those facilities and just many things that they're having to deal with. But we have an opportunity to be a blessing to Our Lady of the Lake St. Elizabeth Gonzalez next week. And here's what we need you to do. If you can possibly do this for you or for us, we need some homemade desserts individually packaged uh, to be brought and dropped off here at the church uh, either by Wednesday evening or by Thursday, no later than about 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon. So if you could do that, we would appreciate that so very much. And uh, that will help us out. Stay tuned uh, as the disaster relief efforts are continuing to go on some folks are probably wondering what happened to the other trailers that were here there was absolutely no way that we could accommodate and house everybody in this facility so this has been divided up into two parts Uh, all of the chainsaw and portions of the other recovery have been moved over to new river baptist church uh, where we have a little bit more room over there the command post is over there this is the feeding this is the main feeding unit that is here Uh, they have been doing anywhere from 10,000 to 12 and up to high as 18,000 meals a day Um, but they have been they have been doing a lot Um, and we were concerned that the possibility might they have to ramp up even further but uh, that has not been the case but they're still feeding so just continue to pray for them they work effortlessly and selflessly and tirelessly Uh, day after day here in the community and so let's keep them lifted up in our prayers as well all right so we'll see you tonight brother ed has something he wants to share with you before we go miss jenny is on a much needed much deserved and well-earned time off of a vacation so we have been blessed today by a good friend of mine who's just uh, a fellow partner in ministry gordon butler would you stand up just a second would y'all say thank you to gordon for playing for us today Thank you so much. All right, let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And uh, we'll go. Father, we thank you for just the privilege that we have to come to this place to worship you. And Father, as we do, I pray that we'd understand and realize that it's it's all because of you. And it's all about you. You're the only one who's worthy to receive honor and glory. Father, may all of our honor and glory be given to you. Father, dismiss us now with your love. Bring us back at the next appointed time, and we'll be careful to thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.